my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast that includes six new-to-me horror movies. Well, in this episode, five new-to-me horror movies and a season of a show with a seventh terrifying topic at the end. I'm your host, Josh Baker, and this episode will cover Blood Caviar, Sympathetic Monsters, and Pregnant Danger. Now everyone be quiet and listen, or the hype monster might kill you. Number 1, Channel Zero, No End House, 2017, directed by Stephen Payette. Margot, her friend Jules, a random dude they just met named Seth, and some others, go into a strange house that is said to have spooky rooms. They go through the house, which ends up being a portal to another dimension. In this new dimension, Margot's dead dad is alive. It's not actually her dad, though. It's an entity created by the house based on what Margot feels she needs the most. Everyone gets some type of weird house entity when they enter. Jules gets a weird demon egg ball that she gets freaky with, and Seth got a family. The entities eat the memories of their hosts. The group then meets up with a guy named Dylan, who has escaped the house before and has come back to get his trapped wife. It doesn't go well. His wife is killed during the group's escape. Margot and Jules go back to the real world, but Margot's fake dad ends up following them. Margot goes with Seth and her fake dad to live in the house dimension. After a year, Jules comes back. It's revealed that Seth is a creep that lures girls into the dimension and finds new ones after the one he is currently with loses all their memories. Margot unleashes Seth's fake family on him, which he had built a cage around. Her fake dad kills himself for her, and she goes back to the real world with Jules. The memory eaters are the killers. They mostly don't kill, but a friend of Margot and Jules is killed by his memory eater, and Dylan's wife is also killed by one. I think it could have been a regular person who lost all their memories, but I'm pretty sure it was a memory eater. Channel Zero has been on my watch list for some time now, and I was able to watch the first episode of Season 2 on the sci-fi website when it aired. I decided to finish the season since I found out all the episodes were now easily streamable. All the seasons are standalone and based on creepypastas, which are basically urban legends spawned on the internet. Season 2 is based on No End House. In the creepypasta, the protagonist, David, is alone. He has to go through 9 terrifying rooms to win $500. He eventually completes all the rooms after experiencing things like what it feels like to have invisible mosquitoes all over his body, the sight of a demon-slash-little girl that occupy the same space, the mutilated bodies of his parents, killing a copy of himself, and absolute nothingness. Once he gets back to the lobby, he gets $500. He goes back to his house, 
only to find A-10 etched into its front door. That's where it ends. The Channel Zero take is pretty different. None of the rooms are the same, memory eaters aren't a thing in the creepypasta, also there isn't a prize for going through all the rooms in Channel Zero. I feel like the general idea is somewhat still there with Channel Zero's No End House though, since everything is still centered around a spooky house. Margot sees a bunch of creepy stuff and can't possibly remember her dad fondly after everything that happens to her in the house dimension. Does she go through anything nearly as horrifying as David? Not really. Would the original events of the creepypasta work better for TV if the story was adapted more closely? Probably not. Channel Zero No End House is still an interesting adaptation. The house dimension that is created is neat, and the way it is represented works. The environments they use for the house dimension feel familiar, yet completely off. The entire season is beautifully shot, and the acting is decent throughout. The pacing is horrendous. There are six 40-minute episodes, and all the events could easily fit into three episodes. The season is filled with pointless conversations and bad decisions that just waste time. For instance, when the fake dad comes into the real world to find Margot, why doesn't she just kill him? I mean, they try to kill him with pills that her real dad took, which killed him due to an allergic reaction, but the fake dad survives them and only gets puffy for a brief time. Can fake dad not be killed if Margot is still alive? At the end of the season, she stabs him, then pushes him into a bottomless pool with weights tied to his legs, per his request, so maybe he can't die as long as Margot lives. Even though the season is way too long and has a lot of dumb stuff in it, it has some genuine creepy moments. The way the memory eaters feed is completely grotesque. They feed by grabbing a person's head, and once they find a tasty memory, whatever is being remembered rises from a black puddle that materializes on the floor. The first time we see a memory eater feed is when Margot's fake dad eats the memory of her mom. Her mom's body rises out of the black puddle, cold and shamed, lying naked on the floor. Fake dad then breaks off her arm and eats what appears to be blood-filled caviar out of the dismembered limb. It's incredibly disturbing. Pup warning, fake dad also ends up eating the memory of a puppy, and it is just as awful as when he eats the mom, if not worse. The gore for these scenes is incredibly well done and completely off-putting. Another memory that is shown is the dad eating an apple, which is also disgusting. Who knew that watching a man eating blood-filled caviar out of humans, animals, and fruits would be so traumatizing? Some other gore is also shown. We see the dead body of the guy that's killed by his own memory eater. Dylan shoots a fake version of his wife and a fake husband that was created for his wife. And both of these memory eater kills look good. If you're looking for a series that will keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time, this isn't what you're looking for. If you are looking for more of a background show that has some messed up and interesting visuals, give Channel Zero No End House a chance. Number 2, Frontiers, 2007, directed by Xavier Jens. A group of robbers end up at a Nazi bed and breakfast and start getting offed one by one. The Nazi family keeps the girl of the group, Yasmin, alive since the Nazi heir needs a wife. She's not down with this, so she fights her way out. 
Yasmin kills most of the Nazis and is helped out by another girl that was kidnapped and forced into the family who also kills one of the Nazis herself. Yasmin then drives off and is stopped by the police. The Nazis are the killers. The movie begins with a ton of exposition about riots that were sparked by some right-wing political party gaining power, but none of that is really important to the story. They should have cut all that out and just started the movie with a quick bank heist. I'm assuming they robbed a bank, it's never clearly stated. They might have robbed stores, the source of the stolen money isn't important. There are a lot of gore and torture porny moments in this movie. A dude gets hung up on meat hooks, another gets his Achilles tendons cut, there's even a gas chamber scene because Nazis. I didn't care for a lot of it. There is one great kill that surprised me. Yasmin takes an axe to one of the Nazis, causing the Nazi to fall back onto a table saw that's running. It's a ridiculous kill. This movie would have been way better if it spent more time on over-the-top kills and less time on boring family dinners with Nazis. The runtime is nearly two hours when it could have easily been an hour and 20 minutes. Yasmin keeps getting hit in the mouth throughout the movie. It feels like every 20 minutes you see Yasmin bashed in the teeth followed by her spitting out a stream of blood. It's kind of absurd. The movie looks ugly in general. It's a perfect example of going overboard with color grading. The inside scenes are incredibly orange and the outside scenes are way too blue. Most of the movie is shot without tripods which gives a majority of the scenes a heaping helping of nauseating shake. The visual assault is accompanied by the epitome of terrible soap opera music. During the scene where Yaz's baby daddy is shot and killed, it's especially bad. What's played is something that you'd hear during a dramatic scene in a Bollywood movie. Normally when a film is in another language, it's hard to tell how the acting is, but in this film, the bad acting transcends language. 50% of the people in this are absolutely horrible, and the other half is barely alright. Yaz's acting is hard to decide on. Some of it seems terrible, but I thought if I was in a traumatizing situation such as this, my fine motor skills would probably be on the fritz too. Even though it's strange, I actually liked her acting. She's a badass final girl. Despite getting hit in the face over and over, she still comes out on top, taking out three Nazis herself and basically being responsible for the deaths of two others. She rips out one of the Nazis' jugulars with her teeth. How many times have you seen a final girl go feral on a villain like that? Frontiers was intended to be one of the eight films to die for in 2007's After Dark Horror Fest, but had to be pulled as it was given an NC-17 rating by the MPAA. I look through the movies that festival has had on their 8 films to die for lists over the years, and the only other one I've seen is Borderland from 2007, directed by Zev Berman. It's another horror movie with Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World. I remember it being alright, but I haven't seen it in 10 years. It's about a killer cult. Anyway, Frontiers did nothing for me. There aren't enough fun bits to make it enjoyable. Pass on this one. Number 3. Mon 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 Monsters, 2017, directed by Giddens Co. 
A nerd who's bullied becomes part of the gang that bullies him. The gang goes to an old folks home where they molest and harass the elderly because how else are we supposed to know how evil they are? They have a run-in with two monster sisters. The gang ends up kidnapping one of the monsters. The nerd and bullies torture the monster and continue to be terrible people in general. A teacher humiliates the boss of the gang after he beats up a kid. So the boss and the rest of the gang poison her with the monster's blood, which causes the teacher to catch on fire in the sunlight and die. The monster's sister starts killing students after she sees the teacher's death on the news. The gang sets up a trap to kill the older sister monster after she kills the boss's girlfriend. The nerd turns on the gang, which gives the older sister monster the opportunity to kill them all. The nerd then kills the monster sisters with sunlight. Then the nerd poisons his entire high school, including himself, only excluding one girl. Everyone dies but that girl. The nerd, bully gang, and monsters are the killers. This is the most unsatisfying movie I have ever seen. Well, in recent memory at least. The whole movie you watch these awful characters be terrible human beings. You think the nerd kid is going to redeem himself, but he never does. He just gets worse and worse. He has no spine. To cement the fact that he is an awful garbage person, there is a scene where he maliciously yells at a handicapped man. The movie basically ends with him being a school shooter, except he uses poison instead of a gun. I am not rooting for this trash boy. Most of the time in these types of movies, the payoff is the brutal comeuppance of the bully characters. All the bullies die. The older sister monster kills them all. So why am I complaining? Every single one of the bullies dies off screen. Every single one. The whole movie is spent making you hate these characters only for them to die off screen. Are you kidding me? Why even portray them as badly as you do if they aren't going to be disemboweled and dismembered on screen? You even end up seeing the body of the main bully and all it has is little scratch marks. Homie didn't even suffer. If you were going to show characters terrorize other students, grope an old lady, steal from a veteran, viciously harass other elderly people, torture a creature, and straight up murder a teacher, they need to have vengeance rain down upon them. I wanted to see the bullies and nerd eviscerated by the monsters. Mon 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 Monsters reminded me of another movie called Dead Girl from 2008 directed by Marcel Sarmiento and Gadi Harel. Both movies are centered around a tied up girl who's undead. Dead Girl has 100% more rape. It was written by Trent Haga. Trent, dog, get some help. This movie is presented as a black comedy, but there's nothing funny about raping a zombie. It's been forever since I've seen Dead Girl, but I'm pretty sure all the rapists get horrible on-screen deaths. So at least there's that. Back to Mon Times 3 Monsters. The movie has some really funny slapstick moments. For example, the older sister monster goes into the war veteran's room and crawls up onto the wall. The two are about to throw down when another old lady walks into the room and starts yelling at the veteran, telling him to keep it down. While she's yelling, the monster and veteran keep looking from each other to the old lady, then back to each other. And it's genuinely hilarious. 
They wait until she leaves to battle. I would probably be recommending this movie if more time was spent doing slapstick comedy and if the terrible characters got what they deserved on screen. Well, and if they cut some of the terrible, stupid fart jokes that are in this. I did walk away with a great new insult, though. The bullies make the nerd accidentally grab the boss's girlfriend's boob. They then call him Boobies Lover throughout the rest of the movie. The nerd is a straight dude. Why would he be offended by being called Boobies Lover? It must have been some strange translation error, but I still found it humorous. It should go without saying that I don't recommend Mon 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 Monsters. It's long, dumb, and has no payoff. Number 4, Dead Body, 2018, directed by Bobbin Ramsey. A guy named Dominic invites his classmate over to his parents' cabin after graduation. Only his classmate Ilsa was supposed to show up to hang out with him and two foreign exchange students, Kenji and Mariko. Ilsa brings a dude she hooked up with named Wayne as a shield against Dominic. A girl named Sarah shows up to hang out with Kenji and Mariko. Other classmates Marcus, Rumor, and Eli also show up. Everyone plays a game called Dead Body, where someone pretends to be a killer. Someone actually starts killing people, which leads the group to turn on each other. After multiple characters die, it's revealed to absolutely no one's surprise that the killer is Dominic. He planned on killing Ilsa and the foreign exchange students since he was third on the waitlist to get into Harvard and those three were already accepted. Dominic's plan is about to come to fruition when Sarah shoots him in the head with a nail gun, killing him. Dominic, Ilsa, and Marcus are the killers. That's right, when the group turns on each other, they end up killing one another. Ilsa and Marcus work together to strangle Dwayne. Dwayne tried to kill Sarah minutes prior by shooting at her with a nail gun since he thought she was the killer. She survives though. It's really hard to kill someone with a nail gun from a distance, if not impossible. When Sarah was allegedly killed by one, all I could do was groan since there's no way the nails she took to the face were fatal, even in this world where the nails were able to stick into something after being shot over 10 feet. I'm glad she wasn't actually dead. Dominic is killed by a nail to the forehead, which is incredibly stupid. It's like the writer for this movie has never heard of a lumbotomy. I also don't think the writer has ever seen a nail gun. The nail gun in this movie looks more like a silenced pistol. It also shoots like one. You can definitely kill someone with a nail gun, but you have to make contact with them and the weapon. Shooting the nails through the air will not be effective. One thing I did appreciate was Dominic's motive. It's refreshing that he kills everyone because he wants to get into Harvard. I feel like the motive in a lot of similar movies is the all wah, this girl doesn't love me back cliche. In hindsight, it's completely obvious that Harvard is Dominic's motivation. I didn't catch it right away since I stopped paying close attention to the dialogue since I knew Dominic was the killer from the get-go. He's a huge douche canoe from the moment he is on screen. And as soon as I saw his corpse lying on top of the dead foreign exchange students, I knew that he was still alive and the killer. It's completely obvious. Dominic does deliver some intense, brutal kills in this. The first one we see has him covering a girl's head with plastic, then aggressively stabbing her in the side of the head 
multiple times with an oyster knife. Compared to the rest of the kills and kill attempts in this movie, Dominic's kills are much more sadistic, barring the strangulation of Kenji. He straight up saws off Eli's head and drags the weird red herring character Rumor off screen while he's still alive with the help of a large hook that was jabbed through his face. All the gore in the movie is well done. The acting is also fine. The one exception being Eli. Eli basically plays a super stoner version of Seth Cohen from the OC. The voice he uses in this film is hilarious. Even though the acting was hurt because of this, it made him my favorite character. This movie isn't anything special. There are better Who's the Killer slashers to check out. Skip this unless you're somehow out of other slashers to watch. Number 5, Inside, aka All Interior, 2007, directed by Julian Mari and Alexandre Bastille. A pregnant girl named Sarah is widowed after her husband dies in a car accident involving two vehicles. She was one of the drivers. Four months later, Sarah is attacked in her home by an intruder. The intruder wants Sarah's baby. During the whole ordeal, people start coming to the house, Sarah's mom comes over and Sarah accidentally kills her, thinking she's the intruder. Sarah's boss, the police, and a the guy they arrested all show up at one point or another and are all murdered by the intruder. It's revealed that the crash Sarah was in caused the intruder to miscarry, which is why the intruder wants Sarah's baby. The movie ends with the intruder giving Sarah a scissor c-section, Sarah dies, and the intruder sits down in a chair holding the baby that has somehow survived all of this. Sarah and the intruder are the killers. I was honestly dreading covering this because of my preconceived notions of what this movie would be. When I read the brief synopsis, I thought it was going to be filled with some gritty, visceral gore and torture porn that would require me to get some eye bleach after seeing it. This movie has a boatload of gore, but luckily for me, it's all done in an over-the-top and campy fashion. The movie starts off making you think it might be pretty brutal and hard to watch, but as soon as Sarah stabs her mom in the neck with a knitting needle, I knew inside was going to be a fun time. The last third of the movie is absolutely insane. Like the intruder gets half her face melted and is still able to kill a zombie police officer with a homemade butcher knife spear and complete an at-home hack job c-section with a pair of scissors insane. This movie has way more blood and gore in it than everything else I've seen for this episode combined. Pretty much everyone and everything is covered in a nice layer of blood once we get to the end. There's a scene where a police officer comes to help Sarah, but gets his head blown off by the intruder who uses a gun she took off some other cop she had already killed. This gets blood all over Sarah, and the whole scene is done in such a way that gives it an amazing comedic punch. I'm not sure if they were trying to make the gore so crazy it's funny, but I want to believe the filmmakers were at least somewhat self-aware when creating this masterpiece. I mean, how could they have cut together that scene where the intruder knocks out Sarah by comically swinging a toaster at her head without knowing how funny it would come off? Well, masterpiece isn't the right word. 
The gore and ridiculous kills that continue to get more and more outlandish as they go on are the reasons why the movie is incredibly entertaining. While watching, I got to the point where I stopped trying to figure out what was going to happen and just let myself be completely engrossed by Inside's Wild Ride. To sum up the gore, it's practical, ridiculous, mostly great with some minor makeup flubs, and the main draw of the film. The acting in this is pretty good, I'd say. Sarah is good, and the woman who plays the creepy homicidal intruder is amazing. She's perfect for the role. There are a few things I thought were really dumb in this movie. Throughout the film, we get multiple reaction shots of babies in the womb. One of these shots is kind of necessary to let you know a baby got hurt and ended up actually dying during the car crash. Without that shot, the reveal that the intruder's baby died during the crash would have come out of nowhere. All the other fetus reaction shots are unnecessary. They don't really add anything to the movie. To be fair, they do make it even zanier. Another thing that stuck out as being particularly bad are some of the sounds used in the movie. There are a lot of odd sound effect choices throughout the film. When the intruder starts attacking Sarah by throwing a pair of scissors at her and later uses the scissors to try and stab a hole in a door, the sound effects associated with those actions are completely out of place. The sound that accompanies the throw is what you'd hear when throwing a boomerang in a video game. The door stab sounds like someone shot the door with a bow and arrow. Some of the choices for the score are also terrible. When the intruder is killing Sarah's boss, every time she stabs him or slashes at him with the scissors, the action is accompanied by a terrible wah wah sound effect. Even though the movie isn't a perfectly constructed masterpiece, Inside is an amazing slapstick joyride. If you are a fan of ludicrous gore and find it comedic, this is a movie for you. I almost forgot. Pet warning. A cat is killed in the film. When it is killed, it is an obvious stuffed animal. The intruder snaps the plush kitty's neck and tosses it. It's way more funny than disturbing. Number 6, A Quiet Place, 2018, directed by John Krasinski. I'm going to spoil this movie. It is currently in theaters with a lot of hype. I think it's an okay movie that doesn't really do anything new. If you don't want any spoilers, skip to 33 minutes, 59 seconds. And don't watch any horror movies that have ever been released. Alright, here goes. 89 days after an invasion by aliens that are attracted to sound, Jim from The Office and Emily Blunt are trying to survive with their three kids. One dies due to terrible parenting. We then skip ahead to 472 days after the invasion where the family is all set up at a farm and Emily Blunt is pregnant. After multiple failures from pretty much everyone, Jim sacrifices himself for no reason and the daughter figures out the frequency from a defective cochlear implant is the alien's weakness. The frequency causes them to open their head flaps, which gives Emily Blunt an opportunity to blow one's head off with a shotgun. The family then prepares themselves to face the other aliens that are homing in on their location, and Emily Blunt cocks the shotgun. Aliens are the killers. This film is being touted as the new hotness. 
Why, I honestly have no idea. From the first trailer I saw, I knew this would be dumb. So the whole premise is you have to be quiet. Why does your son have a rocket ship toy that makes a ton of noise? Surely the movie will have some reasonable explanation as to how he came into possession of this rocket ship. Nope. He was told it was too loud by the parents, who then leave him alone and don't pay him any mind until he starts making a ton of noise with the rocket ship that he decided to take. Well, at least there's a good reason why Emily Blunt is pregnant, right? She must have gotten pregnant before the invasion. No one would have a kid right after the invasion. Not even to replace a kid that died due to negligence, since having a baby, an uncontrollable noise monster, would put their entire family in danger. Well, she did get pregnant after the fact. Wow. I've been looking at what other people think about the movie, and for some reason unknown to me, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Defenders of the pregnancy are saying the family is having the baby because they are religious and possibly don't believe in contraceptives. How do these people know the family is religious? The family prays at dinner, once, during the movie. In a situation where survival is key and I'm trying to protect my family, I think I'd put baby making on the back burner. It's like Jim and Emily Blunt were like, We were super careless, so our boy died. Let's continue to be careless, so we can replace him with a louder version, and possibly get all of us killed due to our carelessness. Throughout the movie, the level of sound that can be made without the aliens hearing it and ripping the source to shreds fluctuates to an amazing degree. I understand that some sound, like the sound of a waterfall, can mask quieter sounds. Sure, that makes sense. But how come Emily Blunt can breathe as loud as she possibly can while an alien is right by her without it paying any attention? If you were trying to not make any noise, let me know what you'd do in the following situation. You were carrying a bag up some stairs. It gets caught on something. Would you A. Carefully assess the situation, find out what the bag is caught on, and quietly find a way to detach the bag, or B. Yank the bag until it's free, which could cause a loud ripping sound, and possibly raise a nail that might end up being stepped on later due to incredibly lazy writing. If your name is Emily Blunt, you're going with option B. The movie is incredibly predictable. I was able to cue every jump scare, which the movie leans on heavily by the way. A big thing about the movie is how quiet it is. The sound design is almost one of the movie's biggest strengths. It would have been really cool if it remained quiet throughout with the only sound coming from regular on-screen sources. But whenever we have a jump scare, it's accompanied by a loud-ass sound cue. There are scenes from the daughter who is Death's point of view where everything is silent. Cool. I think these scenes are pretty neat. But whenever something scary jumps into her field of vision, a sound accompanies it, even though it is her point of view. There's a part in the movie where Emily Blunt has to quietly give birth to avoid being alien chow. Jim runs to where she was having the baby and finds a bathtub full of blood. For a second, I thought, oh dang, this movie just got dark and it's something I didn't see coming. I can't believe Emily Blunt and the baby got straight up masticated by some otherworldly creature. That's dark. Don't worry though, nothing interesting like that happens. They live and Jim martyrs himself for no reason a little later on to try and make the audience feel something. 
there are two scenes in this movie with old men yelling, and they are absolutely hilarious. The first comes from a random old dude who yells for the aliens to kill him because his wife got disemboweled by an alien, which makes sense, but is still comedic. The second yell comes from Jim. Why does Jim yell? Well, uh, to get the attention of an alien. To make it attack him instead of his kids. Why doesn't he just throw the heavy axe he just had? Because that won't make the audience cry, you heartless bastard. But he literally dies for no reason. If you know monsters love sound, then why don't you have noisy objects that you can throw as diversions on you at all times? What do y'all even have in those backpacks? I digress. There's barely any spoken dialogue in this movie, which is pretty cool, but boy oh boy is there a terribly written conversation between Jim and Emily Blunt that's cheesier than a raccoon that's jumped into the deep end of a swimming pool filled with cheddar in August. Emily Blunt says something like, If we can't protect our kids, what are we? It's truly stupid. I'll just stop myself there. The acting is fantastic though, and the production design is beautiful. The monsters are CGI but well done. They look like a mixture between the Stranger Things, Demogorgons, and monsters that you'd fight in a dim section of Dark Souls. The small amounts of gore that are shown aren't bad. If you are looking for an original movie that doesn't have the same premise as Tremors, or Don't Breathe, or a ton of other movies, skip out on this. It's nothing special and doesn't deserve the praise it's getting. A Quiet Place isn't a bad movie, but it's also not an original or memorable one either. Last thing, Monopoly should never be played by people that are trying to be quiet. That game was developed in the depths of hell by Satan himself. Number 7, The Bong Chong Dong Ghost, 2011, created by Harong. This was a spooky webcomic from back in the flash days of the internet. It's basically a story about a girl who has a run-in with the ghost of a woman that committed suicide after losing custody of her daughter. Harong created it for the Neighbor Webtoons 2011 Mystery Short Contest. I wanted to find a link and just end the podcast by telling all of you to look it up if you haven't seen it, but unfortunately, most computers won't play it correctly anymore due to the death of Flash. Here's the part where you can pause the podcast for a second to go check out the comic. Heck, it might work for you. Search Korean horror comic in Google, and it'll probably be the first result. Found it? Awesome. Pause for a second and read through the comic. Did you read it? Hopefully the jump scare script worked and you had a mini heart attack. I remember the first time I saw this comic back in the day. I have no idea how I found it, but I was reading through it, got to the part I knew was going to be scary, then bam, it auto-scrolled and hit me with a jump scare out of nowhere. Thinking all was well and done, after that, I continued scrolling just to be hit with another one. Whoa boy, was that terrifying to young me. The auto-scroll jump scare in the comic was so incredibly unexpected and creative. Sure, there were a bunch of screamers floating around the web back in those days, but with those, all you had to do was fall for the terrifying face, jumping out of a static image one time to lose years off of your life and come out with the knowledge to always check an image 
for .jpg or .gif if you ever expected a future image to be a screamer. With the Bong Chong Dong Ghost, there was no way to know it was going to force you to scroll through the scary parts, which makes it the scariest webcomic of all time. I hope some of you at least get to experience it the way it's supposed to be experienced, but if you didn't watch it back in the day, it might just not work anymore, unfortunately. The internet can be a scary place. That's it for episode 16 of Blank is the Killer. I hope you enjoyed hearing me drivel on about different spooky topics. If you think I'm completely wrong about A Quiet Place, let me know. I'm not above being wrong. I honestly do not understand why people are in love with the movie. I mean, Jim was a cool character in The Office, but that doesn't mean anything John Krasinski makes is shielded from criticism. Maybe I turned on a hate switch in my mind after seeing the first trailer with the stupid rocket ship that infected my ability to enjoy the movie. It's possible. Feel free to tell me why I'm wrong using any possible means. As always, this episode is hosted by Sticker Fridge, allowing it to pop up on all your favorite podcast apps and iTunes. There's a new show on the network called Basuda Boys. It's a show about anything and everything with a bunch of trash talk. Give those trash boys a chance. If you like what you heard from this boy's mouth, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating on iTunes. I realized it's not as easy as I made it sound before. It's simple only if you have the iTunes podcast app. If you have that, all you have to do is launch it, search for Blank is the Killer, and leave a review on the podcast page. It seems that's the only simple way to do it, and the only way to leave a review without actually downloading iTunes, which I completely understand no one having on their computer in this day and age. I think I'll be diving deeper into new French extremity films in the next episode, which will be out April 22nd. Until then, I'm your host, Josh Baker, blasting off again.